Good afternoon. Good morning. Good afternoon, Summit Bible Church. Good to be with you this Sunday. You know, everybody said that seeing and experiencing the Grand Canyon in person is different than seeing it on a screen or on a picture. They really don't do it justice, they said. And they were right. I visited the Grand Canyon last year for the first time. It took me 29 years to get there. But I saw it for the first time, and it was breathtaking. I don't know if you've ever been, if you've ever stood there at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Breathtaking views. Incredible. To see the vivid colors of red, orange, and yellow just scattered on those great walls, to stand at the edge of this chasm, look down and not be able to see the bottom, to reach out with your hand and realize that it would take thousands, hundreds of thousands of more reaches to touch the other side. It is incredible, worshipful even, I would say. I I stood there and looked at the Grand Canyon and just started to praise the Lord in my mind, shouting, not shouting, praying uh, praises to the Lord about who he is and how great and beautiful his creation is. I, I wish, my desire is that every one of you, if you haven't, would be able to see and experience the Grand Canyon in person because it really is different than seeing on a screen or a picture But I have a a stronger desire than that for you. A stronger desire than for you to see and experience the Grand Canyon in person. My desire, my prayer for Summit Bible Church is that you would see and experience the one and true God. That is that you would stand at the precipice and stare out at a greater panorama, the one true God, to see him, to behold him, and then to grow more in a knowledge of him personally, not just to know a lot of facts about God, but to know him and experience him personally, and that you would grow still more That's my prayer for Summit Bible Church, and that is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. So you can turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. This spiritual sight of God and the increasing knowledge of Him will result in the praise of His glory and a life that is worthy of the calling. This is the pastor's prayer, the pastor's prayer. So in the spirit of that, I'd like to open our time in a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we stand here at the precipice looking in to your word. This is your word inspired by you, breathed out by you, God, and you reveal yourself in these pages. 
and oh, to know you. When we get just a taste of the one true God, our desire is to know you even more. Lord, but sometimes we become stagnant, sometimes distracted, consumed with other ideas and other pursuits. I pray that now, Lord, as we look at your word, that you would increase our knowledge of you, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would see you, behold you, and want to know you more, to grow in our relationship with you, God, and that that would affect the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 1, 15, we're going to read through it as we go, but we've got to start with that first phrase there. Look down at your copy of the scriptures. It says this, for this reason, for this reason. Now this phrase transitions us to the next section, but it refers back to the previous one. So what we need to do is do, a once again, a quick overview of the previous section. We know verses 3 to 14, it's the panorama view of salvation. It's heaven's view of our salvation. So let's review, let's review briefly. Verse 3, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption according to his will. Verse 7, he redeemed us from slavery to sin through his beloved son. Verse 9, he revealed his plan to us, set forth in Christ and finished in him. Verse 11, he made us an inheritance according to his plan in the counsel of his will. Verse 11 and then verses 13 to 14, he guarantees our arrival through the sealing of his Holy Spirit. Paul says, for this reason, based upon what God has done in our lives, in his great view of salvation, and then he continues, verse 15, and also, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul's saying, you believe this. You believe everything that I, I just told you about God and his redemptive plan. And as a result of that faith, you love others. This is the fruit of faith. Now, you, you put the Christian in some water and you boil him down to his essential elements, you will see two virtues, faith and love. That's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. You have faith and love. Faith is the means of salvation. You believe in the gospel. And that faith will always result in love. Jesus says you will know them by their love. Love. Faith and love. Christian essentials. So because of, for this reason, because of God's great view of salvation and because these believers have faith and they have love, Paul, verse 16 here, he says, I do not cease, I do not stop to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The art of giving thanks the Apostle Paul is a great example of this. The Apostle Paul expresses thanks time and time again for the people that he writes to. And there's something we can learn from him. 
1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And then Paul's instruction to Timothy, he says, first of all, first priority, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Notice the word always. In our verse, it says, Paul says, I do not cease. I don't stop giving thanks. Wow. Can I ask you a convicting question that I asked myself? When was the last time that you thanked God for individual people in the church by name? When was the last time that you thanked God for that brother in Christ? Or you thanked God for the salvation of your sister in Christ? Well, if we're honest, we immediately recognize we need to be more thankful. And not just in November. Not just around the Thanksgiving dinner table. But there needs to be an increasing thankfulness that we have toward one another. Especially in light of the reality that God has miraculously saved them. And you see fruit and evidence of their salvation in their lives. I want to encourage you, as you maybe are taking notes, to write down one or two individuals that you need to thank God for in prayer. Spend some time praying for these individuals. Thanking God for them and what God has done in them and through them because of their faith and love. So Paul does not cease to thank God for them, but secondly, he does not cease to remember them in his prayers. And and what is the pastor's prayer? What is his request to God for them? Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Let's stop there. What's the pastor's prayer? The pastor's prayer is that you would see and know. That the clouds of your heart would evaporate. That the lens of your mind would be adjusted and sharpened. That your 2020 spiritual vision would increase to 2010 spiritual vision. That is that you would see and know God more. Isn't that incredible? That's what Paul prays for. That you would see and know God more. That's interesting. A couple of observations we have to make looking at this text here, verses 17 and 18. Notice first that God gives knowledge. God gives knowledge. Paul, just by the nature of praying, asks God to give knowledge, to give the spirit of wisdom, to reveal the knowledge of him. 
to enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Only God can enlighten the eyes to see, illuminate the mind to understand, and open the heart to believe. This echoes what the rest of Scripture tells us. Matthew 13, 11, you see it there on the screen. They asked Jesus why some understand the parables, why some others don't, and he answers them and he says this, to you, disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. The knowledge is given. Luke 24, 45, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with these men And it says here, clearly in the text, verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, referring to Lydia's conversion. Look at at what this verse says, verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Wow. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, these things, spiritual things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, verse 12, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. It's as if all of our hearts are like the bulb of the flower, the petals tightly wrapped around our brains, and God gently unfolds the petals to open our minds so that we would understand. To open our eyes so that we can see him. See, when Jesus healed the blind Bartimaeus, he wasn't just healing him from the physical blindness. He was telling the Jews, showing the Jews that he had already seen him because of his spiritual vision. He had the faith to believe. God opens the mind. He opens the heart. We can only do so much. We can only do so much. We can warn people of their blindness. We can caution them on the direction of their path. We can and we should share the good news with them. Romans 10 says, how are they to believe in him in whom they've not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? We can take them all the way to the precipice, all the way to the chasm, all the way to the view, the panorama, but we cannot open their eyes. Only God can. And so that is why we must faithfully, zealously, diligently pray for God to open their eyes. That they might see and know him. God gives knowledge. Number two, the phrase phrase knowledge of him in verse 17. This is not referring to uh, academic or factual knowledge. It's gnosko knowledge. This is personal and intimate knowledge. A knowledge of relationship. Let me ask you, do you have this kind of knowledge of God? Maybe you know a lot about God, but do you know God personally? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you talk to him? And does he talk to you? Not in a mystical sense, but as you read the scriptures, as you pray and commune with him, do you have a relationship with him? Or maybe your relationship has grown stagnant 
And so Paul prays again that you would increase in the spiritual sight and knowledge of God. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, gnosko, that they have relationship with you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know God? Do you know Christ? The third observation here, that this is a prayer for Christians. That's interesting. Look back at the passage. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Who, who is the you? The, the ones who what believe and love. The ones who have faith and love. And so Paul is praying that Christians would see and know God. You have to ask the question that I ask myself. Why, why pray for Christians, Paul? Aren't their eyes already opened? <laughs> Don't they already have a knowledge of God, a personal relationship with him? Proverbs 1.7, we, we refer to this passage already in the service. But l- read this carefully. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Isn't that interesting? Fear of the Lord, a relationship with God, is the beginning of knowledge, not the end. And so Paul is praying continuously, without stopping, that they would see more and know more of God. And this is similar to his other prayers. In fact, Peter prays the same thing or encourages the same thing in 2 Peter 3.18. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.9, here's the similar prayer from Paul. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul prays that they might see more, therefore know more, and therefore Grow more. Listen, life is a growing and ongoing study of God. It's a growing and ongoing study of God. Just becoming a Christian isn't the end, just the beginning. Your eyes have been opened. You've seen the one and, true, one and only true God for the first time. You see the beauty of God and you see the gloriousness of his salvation and redemptive plan. And then you don't just walk away from the cliff and go, oh, that was nice. No, you you want more. And there's always room to grow more. You could take your spiritual pickaxe to God's word for a hundred years and you won't mine all of its riches. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere, amen, but better is two days than one. No one takes a bite from the feast of God and then leaves not wanting more. We should not be stagnant or content in our knowledge of God, in relationship. I pray that Paul, uh, that God would use these words from Paul to stir your heart to know him more. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, I count all things as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, 
and essentially in the verses that follow, and I want more. Christian, are you apathetically content in your knowledge of God? Have you become indifferent, uninterested, even callous toward him? This prayer is for you to have the eyes of your heart once again enlightened that you may grow in the knowledge of him. And I want to give you practical ways to do that. Five ways to grow in the knowledge of God. Number one, pray fervently. Pray fervently. It is God who opens the mind. It is God who enlightens the eyes of your heart. So pray and ask God that he would reveal himself to you and that you would grow in a knowledge of him. Number two, read devotionally. Don't read to check it off a list or just as a duty, but read devotionally. Read the Bible so that you would know God more so that you would see him more clearly, and that would result in worship and praise. Read devotionally. Study purposefully. What I mean by that is maybe it it would be good to take a a study on the attributes of God. Uh, A couple books that I recommend, Attributes of God, A.W. Pink, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, Outstanding Studies. Study purposefully. Study to know more about God. You could do a theological study, a systematic theology, or a Bible survey to learn more about God in His Word. Study purposefully. Number four, serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. God gave us the church, one another, to serve and use our spiritual gifts to edify and encourage one another. And as we all do that together, guess what? It gives us a greater picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we encourage each other and edify each other with a variety of gifts, we see a whole picture of Christ working in and through us. Serve faithfully. And number five, of course, share missionally. Share missionally. A deeper knowledge of God leads to common mission. You are going to want the things that God wants. And God wants to save sinners. Read Luke chapter 15. And so a greater and a deeper knowledge of God will result in more evangelism, more sharing. You'll be so overwhelmed and overjoyed at who God is that you couldn't wait to tell others. Share the gospel missionally. Five ways to grow in the knowledge of God. How can a deeper knowledge of God make you a better Christian? I'm going to read through these quickly. Write the ones down that really stand out to you. Deeper knowledge leads to deeper worship. Deeper knowledge leads to deeper love. Deeper knowledge leads to more imitation of Christ. Deeper knowledge leads to shared affections with God. Deeper knowledge leads to common mission. A deeper knowledge leads to greater trust in the difficult times. Greater knowledge or deeper knowledge leads to a greater hope. Deeper knowledge leads to an aligned will. You want to walk in the will of God? Unsure about which way to go? Grow in your relationship with God. He will make those things clear to you. Will you, the question, the question is, will you see and know God? 
Will you see and know God? This passage, this prayer, really is the hinge upon which the entire book of Ephesians depends. It is the linchpin of Ephesians. I want to prove it to you. Turn to Ephesians 4, one or two pages over. Ephesians 4, and look at verse 1 again. Turn to Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Remember, this is the theme verse of Ephesians. The theme of our series, live worthy of your calling. It's based on this verse here. And this is the turning point of the book where Paul goes from all those incredible indicatives to all the imperatives, from theology to practicality. He, he encourages them, he urges them, in fact, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, here's where our prayer connects. How can you walk in a manner worthy of the calling if you cannot see it or if you don't know it? That's why this prayer is significant. Paul starts here. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see the magnificence of their calling. Give them an increased knowledge of you, Lord, so that they would live a life worthy of this calling. The application of this book is dependent upon the answer to this prayer. That the saints would see and therefore know and therefore grow. Will you see and know God? Will you see him and know him more? There are three peaks that Paul places before us in verses 18 to 23 here. Or you see them really in 18 through 19, then expands in verses 20 to 23. Three peaks, three mountain peaks of theology that could leave you uh, studying and growing in your knowledge of God more and more each day. You'll never traverse all of these peaks. Three peaks that Paul sets before you. I just uh, hiked up on uh, Friday. We hiked the Etiwanda Trail and we did the loop. I don't know if you're familiar with the Etiwanda Trail right up here. And we uh, went to one of those lookout points. And at the lookout point, you can see the entire valley and you can see other peaks off in the distance. And you turn behind you, of course, you've got the Cucamonga Peak right there at the top. And they have these signs, these pictures, showing you which peaks are in which direction. So they have the, the south sign, they have the west sign, east, and then north. And in the south, you could see as far as Palomar Mountain. And to the east, you could see the great San Gorgonio Peak, highest in Southern California. And then you turn around, of course, and behind you is Cucamonga Peak. Three different mountains from this point of view. Three different peaks. And I, I bet you could spend all of your life hiking these mountains, traversing the terrain, and I can guarantee you won't see all of them. You won't see all of them. You, you won't see every square foot of these incredible mountains and these incredible peaks because they're just so magnificent. They're just so big. They're huge, immense, even intimidating. And that's what the Apostle Paul does for us in Ephesians. He lays before us three huge mountain peaks just to begin growing in our knowledge of God. Here they are. I'm going to 
go through all three of them. Number one is hope. Hope. Number two, riches. And number three, power. Hope, riches. It's not earthly riches. It's heavenly riches and power. Three huge mountain peaks. Let's start the the climb of each of them this afternoon. Number one, Paul prays that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. You see that in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Hope is a lost virtue in today's world, isn't it? The world looks to the future with uncertainty. It's because their hope was misplaced. Their hope was in the ballots. Their hope was in a cure for coronavirus. Their hope is in a promotion at work. Their hope is in technology, progress, a brighter future for our children. Unfortunately, these hopes are uncertain, often failing, and even unfulfilling. They're fraudulent. They're defective anchors. They don't hold our souls. They leave us being more anxious and fearful than ever before. We have lost hope. But not the Christian. Not Christian hope. Not the hope of our calling. Our hope is secure in the Lord. Amen? Our hope is guaranteed in the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Christ is the sure and steady anchor. So I encourage you to look to the promises of God in Scripture if you need hope. Look at the word hope in the Scriptures and you will link them to the promises of God and you will start to climb the incredible mountain of hope that is unbreakable, incorruptible, and immovable. Have you lost hope? Have you lost hope? Or has it been diminished? I guarantee you it's because you've placed hope in lesser objects, faulty anchors, and they failed you. Look again to the hope of your calling in Jesus Christ. Look at the hope that he secures for you through the sealing of his Holy Spirit and the promised return of Jesus. That is our secure hope. You need to hike the mountain of hope again. You need to hike God's mountain of hope. Remember that it's stable. Remember that it is dense. Remember that it is dependable. It is not shaky ground. Grow in the knowledge of hope. Number two, Paul says that you may know, number two, what are the riches, verse 18, the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I mean, man, again, to be a beneficiary of Rockefeller or Carnegie, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? A lot of money, a lot of earthly wealth. But when you compare the immeasurable value of knowing God and being called his, his inheritance, his possession, 
fellow heirs of heaven in Christ, the riches of the world are so small. You know what might help you be less materialistic? A study of heaven. A study of the immeasurable riches of heaven. Read Revelation 21 and 22. And tell me that you still want to stay here. Tell me you'd rather have the riches of the earth when you see the immeasurable riches of heaven. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I encourage you to hike again the mountain of God's riches. To begin to climb this mountain. And as you climb this mountain, turn around and you will see the tiny hills of the world's riches diminish. Mine the caves of this mountain for gold immeasurable, diamonds unfathomable, and satisfaction indescribable. Grow in the knowledge of his riches, God's wealth. Study him and grow in a greater understanding of that. Number three, that you may know hope. Number two, that you may know the riches. And number three, verse 19, You may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is the crescendo of the prayer. This is the tallest peak that stands out amongst the others. The San Gorgonio of this prayer. Paul goes into great description of this mountain, God's power toward us who believe. What kind of power are we talking about here? Well, I don't want to just glance over this, but it is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is power that the Christian has been affected by. This is power that we have experienced This isn't some distant display of ultimate power, but it is power that has touched our lives, power that we are connected to. It's power that has a direct line of access to the believer. It's the power toward us who believe. Let's read further. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ... So the power that is hooked up to us is the same power of the same source that he worked in Jesus Christ. When, look there at uh, verse 19, or sorry, 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow, that's a mouthful. And that is a lot of power. Serious, serious power that we are connected to here. 
Paul uses every word, it seems like, in the Greek language that describes power that he could find. He uses the word dunamai, which is raw power. That's the word we have for dynamite. Energeia, which is working power. Our word is energy. Kratos, which is mighty. Iskis, which is force. All of these words are used in the sentence to describe this power. This is the ultimate display of power. It's resurrection power. The power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. It's unassailable power. It's the power that put Christ above all other beings. All other powers. And it's the power that unified his body, the church, all things together. It's the power who fills all in all. This is amazing. This is God's power in you. Or that worked through and in you. Think about that. This is power that you are connected to because of your relationship with Jesus Christ and has been effective in your life. And any of you who believe, any of you who believe in Jesus Christ have been transformed by this power. You know, it can be frustrating sometimes when, I, uh, when people label uh, certain testimonies of salvation as powerful testimonies and then well, ordinary or average testimonies, right? The drug dealer, murderer, prostitute who gives their life to the Lord and turns everything around, well, that's a powerful testimony. But the kid who grew up in a Christian home, prayed the sinner's prayer when he was 10 years old, trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, well, that's more of an ordinary testimony. Well, at least it's thought of that way. It's less powerful. No, no, no. That is a very man-centered view of a testimony because you're basing the power of the testimony on the man or the woman's experience of it. What you're not seeing is the incredible work of heaven that has been affected in this young believer's life. The power of our salvation does not come from us. It comes from his great might. It's the power that transformed, or, or sorry, the power that transformed the Christian kid's life And the prostitute's life comes from the same source. It manifests itself in different ways. It's all the unassailable, unifying, and resurrecting power of God. What God did to transform the heart and life of the Christian kid is just as profound and astonishing as what he did to transform the heart and life of the drug dealer. And Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2 is going to explain this to us as we look at the individual who was once dead and God made alive. So I am so excited to transition now to chapter 2. Chapter 1 is really heaven's view of salvation, God's view. And chapter 2 is really the ground level view. How we experience that this salvation that has been poured out upon us. And so Paul is getting there. Paul is getting there to make the connection between Christ and how that salvation takes effect in our life. But for the purpose of our passage today, you should see that Paul prays that you would grow 
in an understanding and a knowledge of God's power. And that power is effective in your life. The more you see of it, the deeper you know of it, the more you will grow and live a life worthy of the calling. But just a teaser, I want to give you a teaser as to (laughs) coming to the weeks ahead. I want you to see the correlation here between the power that that God uh, affected in Christ in his work of salvation and the power affected in your life, in your salvation. And it's just these two verses. I, I have them up on the screen here. Ephesians 1.20. See the correlation. This power, that, verse 20, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That is incredible power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now let's skip ahead to chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, and notice the correlation here. This is you, you who believe. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Here's the power. By grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. Us puny ant-like sinners have been given access to God through the incredible work of Jesus Christ and that power has changed our lives, changed our future, given us hope. Resurrection power, unassailable power in Christ. This isn't some mystic force that we have control of to smite our enemies. This is the power that transforms a man from being dead to coming alive. And this is the power of God in your life. We're not even close to summit the mountain of God's power. We haven't even come close. But Paul prays, and I I would pray for you, that you would grow in your knowledge of God and grow to see his power more and more in your life. Don't doubt or diminish the power of the gospel to change someone. The power of the gospel to transform your children. The power of the gospel to save that neighbor that you've been praying for for years. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel to save that coworker. You just be the faithful, beautiful feet that share the gospel with them and allow God, see God's power work to open their eyes and open their mind to believe. That's this beautiful, beautiful work of salvation that we participate in and God works out through us. It's amazing to see him do that. So here we stand at just the precipice of an eternal God and the glories of his salvation open before you. And we haven't mined all its treasure. We haven't been able to go all the way to the bottom of the deepest chasm or reach across to the other side of this canyon but we've seen just a glimpse of the Lord. 
And I want to encourage you again to put into practice those things we wrote down to grow still more in the knowledge of God. Deeper knowledge results in deeper relationship, a deeper love and growth. Do you have eyes open to know him, an open heart to receive him, and an open life to apply a desire to know him more? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you again, asking again for a a deeper knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be an academic knowledge to know a lot about you, but to know you more personally, to have a greater relationship with you. And Lord, to realize as we grow in relationship with you and a knowledge of you, we will grow and be able to live a life worthy of the calling. Pray that for every person here at Summit Bible Church, you would enlighten their eyes more and that you would increase their knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen.